Yeah, Charles. I would say so, yeah. I, they're just, and, and it doesn't, all kinds of churches. I've been to about everything you can imagine. And uh, I even drank the holy water at a Catholic church once. I felt pretty good afterwards, actually. I didn't know it was the holy water, but... Just thank the people. It's just down-to-earth people. Yeah, biblical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's the teaching. We're Assemblies of God, Church of God. Those groups that fall in that category are fall into what's called the, the mainline Protestant evangelical theology, basically. And we have some differences in there between each other, but... Uh, the differences in most Protestant evangelical churches is so small, people make them larger than they really are, uh, I, at least from my opinion anyway. Not worth arguing over. All right, so we're going to do, um, let's back up and do a review, a summary. So let's just do a summary of what we did last week for those who, uh, who weren't here, and um, start off with the meaning and, <clears throat> what did I start off with, Becky? Okay, meaning and purpose of the Beatitudes. So, from from my point of view, the Beatitudes are deep spiritual truths that are designed to engage us with God and engage us with each other. They're not like a poetry some things we read in Scripture are poetry. Some things are there just to inspire, encourage us. But these are more than that. I think you have to read them as, as really what they are intended to be. And they're intended to be very deep spiritual truths. They're intended to be the, the absolute ethics of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And we talked about last week that the kingdom of God, the way we understand it, is that it's already here, but not fully realized yet. It will be fully realized at the second coming, but it's not fully realized yet. We don't, we're not without sin. We're not, we don't live in a world without sin and without pain and without sickness and without all of those things yet. And yet at the same time, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, His indwelling in us, the kingdom of God is here. Put it one way, it's like this. One theologian put it this way. The Holy Spirit in us today is the, gives us the same realization that the disciples had when Jesus was standing there in front of them. So all that Jesus was when he was here, teaching, healing, casting out devils, teaching, doing all the things he did... All that he was to those folks who saw him and could touch him, he is to us today because of the indwelling of his spirit in our lives and because the kingdom of God has come. That makes sense? You have to think about it, but all that he is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's just alive, just as alive. When someone gives their life to Christ, I was talking to a young man last week who had a, a, just a radical conversion to, to Christianity. And he's like, Jesus is so real to me. 
And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Some of us old folks, we need an we need a injection of that, don't we? That he is just what he is. He's just as alive, just as real as he always has been. And so for us, that's the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes represent a set of sort of ethical statements about what life is like in the kingdom of God. Not in the church, in the kingdom of God. That encompasses the church, but it goes beyond that. And then it's a quality and direction for living. If you live like what the Beatitudes are talking about, if you were to live like that, then life would be different. It really would. And hopefully you are uh, focused on that. So let me. Uh, so the idea of blessed, as I mentioned last week, it doesn't translate over well into our culture. A better translation, in my view, is the word congratulations, exclamation point. Congratulations to those of you who... So let's look at... Here are the four things that we looked at last week. So you, do, you can divide them into... Two parts, the Beatitudes. So the first four Beatitudes are things that we need from God to live in the kingdom. Does that make sense? So we need God's help in order to do certain things. So if you think about the first four things, now Carol asked me to throw this in. Blessed are those who are married to Carol. <laughs> That's another Beatitude. I'm sorry, I almost missed that. She said that since Marty isn't here, we need to throw that in. And, uh, and there, are, there are blessings that go along with that if you obey. If you don't obey, there's other, there's other consequences of it. Well, here are the four. These are, these are the need beatitudes of faith, and they demonstrate that God helps those who cannot help themselves. So overall, it would be if, if you can't help yourself, congratulations. At that point, you need God's help. Now, isn't that, hang on with me a second. Isn't that the opposite of what our culture, our American culture? Believe me, I love this country. I've been to other countries, and every time I come back, I want to kiss the ground that I walk on. I love the country, but our culture teaches us to be self-reliant, self-sufficient. You don't need God. You don't need this. You don't need that. Be your own person. And we teach that from a very early age up. And it has a lot of merit to it. It really does. But there's a point where you realize without God's help, you're in trouble. And so the idea here is that these are the four things we need from God in order to live in the kingdom. So just hang on a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, Matthew 5 and 3. So congratulations to those who feel helpless without God's help. He says, so if you you feel helpless without God's help, if you're only going it on your own, you're in trouble. But if you feel like you've really got to have God to help you, congratulations, you're starting to get it. You're starting to get what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, where God helps those who can't help themselves. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse four, congratulations for those who mourn, for in deep sadness and sorrow, they are in God's hands. My wife said to me today, before I left the house, she said, we were praying, and she said, you know what? 
I'm just in God's hands. That's it. There are some times in life, whether it's finances or marriage or sickness or your career or your kids or whatever it is, there are times where you realize there's this sadness that comes over you. And without God at that moment, you weren't going to make it. Raising kids is tough, isn't it? We, We always laugh and say, when our kids were growing up, we said, wow, I'm just glad we didn't have to raise our kids in that last generation. And then now we look at that and we look at this generation. And Lynette said the other night, she said, well, I'm just glad we don't have to raise our kids in this generation with all the technology and the access to evil stuff and all that. But every generation has its own set of, of evils and own set, own set of problems. And so there are times when you're raising your kids when they move from being dependent to being independent and you realize, wow, we have no more control. When children are little, you can control them, sort of, right? There are a few I've seen that that's probably not going to be the case. But most of them, are at, you can control what happens in their lives, but there's a point at which they have to be, as Covey says, I think he's probably right, to be ever to be ever to ever become interdependent, you have to at some point become independent. And when a child becomes independent, it's really scary for parents. Am I right? You have to say, you know what? I'm no longer your moral compass. I can't follow you around at high school. I can't follow you around at middle school and make all your choices for you. So if you didn't do your job as a parent to raise them up to make good choices and they don't have that moral center, then they're just going to be taken off into whatever happens. So you really have to work on helping them to become independent so eventually they'll understand, you pray, someday they come around and realize they're dumb as dirt and they need you as a parent. And they come back and go, Dad, I'm really sorry. You're a genius. And you go, I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen to me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 5, congratulations to those who do not claim their right because they will be awarded the earth. Our culture says, claim your rights. You have a right to this. You have a right to that. I actually had a call last week. I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's true. I had a call last week about a situation at work, and this lady called me from California. She's in the legal profession. She said, listen, you have a lawsuit. I want you to think about suing these people. Now, there are times to sue. If you have to sue, that's fine. But this is just like one of those things where she's saying, you could make a lot of money if you do this. It's just about the money. And I just laughed and I said, I'm sorry. I don't want to have this conversation with you because I'm not going to sue anybody. She said, but you, you have a right to this. Have you ever had felt like that? You're, you, you are entitled to this. But you know in your heart it's selfish. Hello? Uh, so we're not supposed to preach on Wednesday night. It's a teaching class. I, I, sometimes I skirt the line. I flip over. But she, and she said to me, but Dr. Chambers, you have a right. Well, in the kingdom of God, it isn't always about rights, is it? I have a right 
Congratulations to those who do not claim their right. You see, that's where you need God. You need to say, God, is this a time to claim my rights or is this a time to not? You see what I'm saying? Yes, Charles. Well, I think here you're talking about the right to something. I have a right to something. No, I don't think it has to do with free will. I think it has to, to do more with ethical issues of whether or not it's ethical to demand something or not demand something. We, Luther said this better than anybody. We have a nature that is bent towards sinfulness, right? He, Luther didn't say, you know, we're, we're always sinful, he said, we're like, a, like if you go out in a marsh and you watch a reed blowing in the wind and the wind's blowing east and it's bending east, he says, that's us. You know, if, if we had a chance to get our rights, to get our way, we're more inclined to get our way than not get our way. That's what he was arguing, right? So every once in a while in life, you come to a place at work, at school, at church, driving, you know, whatever, I have a right to this. And what this is saying is, yes, you probably do have a right. But in the kingdom of God, congratulations to those of you who realized you don't need to do that. It's not necessary to demand your right. You got passed over for promotion. You didn't get recognized. This and that. I tell a story about my wife. It's Really amazing. Years ago, <clears throat> when uh, Bush Sr. was a pres- the president, my wife has uh, FBI, CIA clearance. And so Bush Sr. came to town to Atlanta to give a speech, and they asked my wife to, be, to organize it, to head everything up. And she, she's amazing, and she did it. She organized for, I don't know, 10,000 people or whatever to go to a speech. Well, in that, after the event took place, they had a little ceremony and they gave away awards to people for doing a great job, security, the food, you know, all the things that it takes to do a, a political thing. And so they were giving away awards, calling people to the stage and giving everybody awards. And at the end of the night, after the award ceremony, no one ever mentioned my wife's name. They never even said her name the entire night. Never said anything about her at all. And, you know, I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And she was, she was the one who worked with uh, Bush's team to do everything. But they never said anything. There was no award. There's no ba- they, some people got certificates. Some people got other things. But she got nothing. And we went home and I said, are you disappointed? And she said, not really. She goes, I just had a great time. It was a great time. And to be able to serve the president is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I said, well, that's awesome. So a couple days later, a courier came to the office and gave her an envelope. You know what was in the envelope? A handwritten note from Air Force One by George Bush Sr. Dear Lynette, what an awesome blah, 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 blah. So other people got a certificate. <laughs> she got a letter from the president written on the stationery from Air Force One. 
But there's that, there's that line where you want to get up and say, I need to be recognized, right? But in the kingdom, we should live a different way. Congratulations to those who do not claim their right. And Exactly. And that, but it takes a bit, right? <laughs> Sometimes it takes a lifetime to get to a point where we mature to that level. We don't start out that mature, right? So then the last one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Congratulations to those who do not believe they can live unless they find uh, the righteousness, find righteousness in God's victory. So we talk about righteousness and living a righteous life and living a good godly life, but do we really thirst for that? Do we hunger for that? And that's the one need beatitude that we should all pray for. The other ones you don't have to pray for. They're going to happen naturally. This one, I think you should pray and ask God to help you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So when right and wrong is in front of you, you go with right, no matter what the consequence. You'll see that again in a minute. So let's transition to the help beatitudes of love. So that's the beatitudes that are needed, that we need God to help us. Because those four things we can't do on our own, no matter how hard we try. And the reason we can't, honestly, is, is complex. But the real, real reason is because we're humans, and we live in a human world, and the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. Now, when it is fully realized, there won't be those temptations. There won't be sin and sickness and death and, and selfishness and all of those kind of things occurring. But right now, there is. But you and I have been changed by the power of God, and we live in a different kingdom. That's why Jesus kept saying that. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is coming. It's near. It's on you. It's right on you. It's going to be here. And it came, and there it was. So here are the other four, the help beatitudes of love. The four help beatitudes of love demonstrate that God helps those who try to help others. So on one hand, if you look at it, on one hand, we desperately need God to help us with our humanness. And on the other hand, we need to help each other. But in order to help each other, we need God. We need His help to do that. Some people are easily helped, say amen. Some people, not so much. <laughs> I don't know what it is about those who really need the help, but they seem to be the ones who are the hardest to help. Some people are not that easy to help, but we need his help. So let's look at these four and see what they say. So the first one is in verse 7. This is an NIV version. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So another translation would be, just a raw translation here, congratulations to those who give what in the need be attitudes of faith they are given by God. So anything that we receive from God in the other four beatitudes, congratulations if you could give that, if you could help that other person do that. Now I get to practice <laughs> some of that with the group of people that I work with because there's a lot of young people in there and there's a lot of immaturity at times. And uh, I, 
was talking to our, our team on the way up here, and they were upset about something. They were, they were all in a car, uh, a little convoy, and they're jabbering back and forth, and they were wanting to demand something happen. And, and I, let, I listened to them, you know, and they are very verbal about it. And then I just told them, I said, look, at the end of the day, what you're asking for isn't going to help you get your work done, okay? They're upset at someone. And I said, just, why don't you just forget about that and think billable hours? How many of you know what billable hours are? (laughs) Billable hours are when you just focus and getting your work done, you're going to get paid. And these people get paid an awful lot of money. And I said, listen, why don't you all forget about what happened today? Go back, go back to the hotel, have a good dinner, and just keep saying to yourselves, billable hours. <laughs> Think about how much money you're making and forget about it. And they're like, yeah, but Dr. Jim, this happened and that happened. I'm like, I'm like guys, stop. Stop. Grousing about, grousing, we don't use that word too much in our culture. Grousing about it all night will just give you indigestion, okay? It happened. The person, I don't know if they intended it or not, but it was, you know, it was dumb. It disrupted the whole day. The day is over. Go back to the hotel, have a nice dinner, get some sleep. Think about it. You got paid an awful lot of money today. So it's partly helping others adjust, right? Rather than joining in, it'd be easy for me to join in, right? So it's just those moments come up, they catch us off guard sometimes, but those moments come up where we need to help others. That's what we do. That's what Christians do. So we give back. One example, let's look at an example of how many of you have been shown true honest to goodness, verifiable, you could give an example of God's mercy. You have just, God has shown you mercy. You deserved judgment, but you got, you really goofed up. You really messed up. And God gave you mercy. Exactly. That's the first point. And then after that, some of us have gotten it more than a few times, right? God has shown you mercy. So then why is it so hard when we see someone do something stupid to show them mercy? We want to go, that was stupid. That was dumb. Or my favorite saying, how'd that work out? (laughs) That's another way of saying, you're dumb. Why did you do that? It's so, it just, I don't know, it just jumps out. You want to you just pounce on that person because they do something dumb. And I'll tell you where it really rubs, rubs close to the saddle, as they used to say. That's an old saying. That's, that's how you know you're really old, when it rubs against the saddle. Uh, that means there's a bare spot somewhere that's not good. Never mind. It's just a cultural thing. <laughs> The young people are going, what? what's a saddle? Um, it's a little device you plug into your computer. <clears throat> well, 
where it really rubs close is with family. When family do dumb things, hello? And not once, but there's a repeated, they just keep doing dumb stuff and get themselves in a bind, in a bind, in a bind. And, and after a while, you lose your patience with that. Am I off base here? Okay, so everyone has family or knows someone's family like this. If you don't have anyone in your family like this, I will share some of mine with you. <laughs> Lynette has eight, there's eight kids on her side and eight kids on my family, so we can share. If you need a family member like that, we got some to spare. But they do the same thing over and over, and you look, you, you keep wanting to help, but you run out of energy, right? You run out of patience with them. You're like, wow. We had a family member years ago that wrote hot checks. That's lovely, isn't it? The bank loves that. They, they have a special name for people like that. You know, they, but this person just couldn't. They, they would do it, and then you'd, you'd bail them out, and then they'd do it again, and you bail them out. And after a while, you realize this is a very long, dark hole that we're not going to get out of, right? And I happen to be a guy who recognizes the hole early, but I'm married to someone who is long-suffering. And, and so I said, just let them go to jail. That'll fix the whole thing. That was the first time. But after about the 10th time, then my wife said, I think we should just let them go to jail. But I'm looking at my pocketbook and thinking, man, that was a hard lesson to learn. I wanted to let them go the first time. But they made a mistake, and then it really wasn't a mistake. They did it on purpose. and then So it really rubs close to the saddle when it's someone close to you who does dumb things, and God's saying, but you need to to apply the same mercy. Remember when you did something dumb and I was merciful to you. Now, not you personally. We're not talking about anyone in the room. Just in general. So Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? This is personal, isn't it? It's not not like he sins against Ronnie. He sins against this person or that person. This is personal. It's my brother, the dummy, the one in the family who can't get it, you know, or my close friend or my colleague. How many times am I going to put up with it? According to certain law teachings from the Old Testament, certain legal teachings by Pharisees, it was seven times seven. He goes, up to seven times or seven times seven? It was seven times. Is that enough? And then I can throw him in jail. And Jesus said, well, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Let's see, at $100 a pop, 77. I'm thinking, this is going to get expensive with the hot check thing, right? He says, now here's where it's really critical. Therefore, the kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven. So he's not not talking about, remember last week, I don't know if you can see this or not. Is this a marker? So 
What do you do with it? What happened to like the old marker you could smell? So this world and the new world. Oops. This world, the new world. So this is what he's going to do right here. This is a great example of this. The kingdom of heaven is like, so it's not like this, not like this world. I'm going to give you how it is in this world. Now, the people listening to him, he had not ascended yet. The Holy Spirit had not come back. So it's really would love to do some parables because parables are really amazing. It's like a king who wanted to settle his accounts and a man who owed him 10,000 talents, so let's just call it $10,000, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he should be sold and repay the debt. So they're going to go to a debtor's prison and they're going to have to work it out until he gets his $10,000. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. The word there is the same as mercy. Canceled the debt and let him go. So... I don't want to get into interpreting parables tonight too much, but the idea in this world and in this world, the contrast. So in this world, you owed $10,000. You needed to pay it. What do you think would happen? You pay it, right? You're going to go to debtor's prison. You're going to pay it. That's the world they lived in. Your children are going. Your wife's going. You're going. It's the way it is. It's the law. When you get it paid off, you get out, you get your life back. But he's talking about this world. And he's saying, so what happens is, and it's sort of, without being allegorical, it's sort of an archetype to us, isn't it? So we owed a debt we could not pay. Remember that old song? And he paid a debt he did not owe. So we, before God, we're all guilty. We couldn't pay the debt. We all deserved total punishment, but the master said, you're forgiven, you can go. That happened. If you're a Christian, that's you. Now, I'm, theologically, I'm on thin ice here. I don't want to be allegorical. It's not an allegorical perspective. It, it's real. That's us. I owed a debt of sin. I could not pay it. I had no currency to pay it. But Jesus paid it. And he let me go. No strings, right? No strings. So this guy gets off scot-free. And in one sense, you want to go, yeah, that's not right. He should pay. But he let him go. He turns around, the servant The same servant that was let go in verse uh, 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, like a hundred bucks or less. And what did he do to him? He grabbed him and began to choke him, 
pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The felon servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Same posture as he took, right? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, uh, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now, so why is that so important? Congratulations for those of you who give what you receive. You received mercy. You should find it easy to be merciful in his kingdom. Now, if you're still living over here, not so much. But in the kingdom of God, we should not find it difficult to show mercy to people. It should be natural for us. And that's why we need God's help. We need to be merciful. Number two, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Here's the translation. Congratulations to those whose personal centers are directed toward God. Talked about this in another class we did. But the idea of heart is simply the center of a person's life in Hebrew culture, not the cardia is not the physical heart. It's this is, this is who you are. This is your life. And so congratulations for those whose personal life is centered on God. For, for all that you do, your work, your school, your home, everything is, is really centered on God. Now, I'm not talking about being a religious nut. Look at your neighbor. Do they look like a nut? If it looks like a nut, it might be a nut. We're not talking about religious fanaticism. We're talking about someone whose center, their center of their life is focused on God. I need God's help. I love Him. I want to love others. And I need His help for that. It's that center of life. And you can tell. I have friends and family who Jesus Christ, the church, worship, all of the things that involve our Christian faith are really a peripheral issue for them. I have close friends who the only time they ever talk about God is when they're in a real bind. And then it's pray for me. And I'll tell you, those are moments when I have a hard time as a, as a person. You know, you, you don't want to live for God. You just... He's, on the, he's done great things for you, but you keep him on the surface of your life. He's not the center of your life. If I go to your home, he's not the center of your home. If I go with you to work, he's not the center of your life. He's just there when you need him, like a bank account or a savings account when to bail you out. And then when you're in trouble, you, you know, you're calling for God to help you out. And he's saying congratulations for those of you who live in the kingdom of God and realize that you really need to put him at the center. He, he really is the compass of your life. So that's what he's talking about there. Abraham is a good example of that. Because Abraham, even though he had never seen God, God asked him to do something and he did it.
That must have been tough, I think. You know, if you really look at the life of Abraham, he, had, he left a lot behind. He left a lot behind. Some of us in this room left careers behind. We left opportunities behind. We've left situations behind. When we came to follow Christ, you had to give up some things. I had to give up friends. I had friends that just were vehement. Oh, my gosh. I had one guy, Billy Nelson. He, he's big as a house, and he, he threatened to just, well, I won't tell you what he said to me, but he, he took me in a garage, and he threatened to, to beat the Jesus out of me if I didn't renounce Christ and come back to my old way of life. Today, he's a born-again, spirit-filled Christian <laughs> who's just, he drives me crazy on Facebook with scriptures and stuff. You know, he's like, he's never-ending. But in those days, he wanted me to, to come back to my old way of life and be with my drinking buddies and do all that. Um, but what about the center of your life? You can always tell, when I was a pastor for so many years, I'd go to people's homes and you could tell doesn't mean you got a uh, thousand angel statues around, right? Don't do that. Do, don't do that. Oh, that light up and they turn purple at night and wave at you and follow you around the room. But you could always tell, yeah, I, Pastor Chris, he's got the driveway lined with them, you know. But uh, no, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? You could go to someone's house and the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ is in that home. Is this true, Chris? You can step in a person's house. doesn't matter if it's a big house, it's a little house. You can go in someone's living and you can almost feel the presence of God or not. Right? That's what I'm talking about. That's what he's saying here. Congratulations when that single-mindedness, that focus on God, it's the center of your life. Another thing. I would say David had a heart for God. He got caught up in the wrong things, in his own selfishness. And later in Psalm 51, you have a picture of David after he's been whipped and broken down and come back to himself. Unfortunately, he had to go through that. But I think in Psalm 51, you get an example of what happens to somebody when they get out of that. Where he's crying out to God, have mercy on me, O God. There's nothing good in me. Well, if he had thought about that beforehand, right, <clears throat> it would have been different. But maybe sometime we could do the thing between Saul and David. I don't know if Chris has ever done that. Saul was driven to do certain things. When Saul got caught, he didn't repent. He's like, well, he was sorry he got caught. When David got caught, he was broken down. It took a while, but he went to sackcloth and ashes, and God restored him. God restored him. He still suffered the loss. The consequences of his sin were still there, right? His son was still dead, so that hurt. But two different kinds of people. 
Uh, let's look at number three. <clears throat> so blessed, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So congratulations to the peacemakers, or whole makers is the word. Congratulations to the peacemakers who are concerned with the well-being of every relationship in their sphere of influence. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what you have here is a circle. I should have done a graphic. So here you are in the circle. Every other person in your circle of influence, everyone, the good, the bad, the ugly, everyone. You like my little stick people? They're rather dysfunctional, but that's all right. I didn't put any women because I can't do the whole dress thing. So it's not intentional. So if you take for a second, if you stop for a moment, <clears throat> and you start thinking, okay, who is in my circle? So there's family, there's friends, there's people here at church, there's so people at work or at school. So there's, there's this sphere of influence that you have, that everyone has. And he says, congratulations to those of you who are willing to take the effort, take the energy, take the risk to try to keep peace, to be a peacemaker. So someone calls up, this gets personal, someone calls up and says, oh, no, no, no did you know what so-and-so did? That's the moment. That's the moment when you have to decide which side you're going to live on. Because you know they've done it so many times. You know it's true. You know this is juicy stuff that's about to come. Did you, know, did you hear about, oh, she did it again. He did it again. And it's so easy, church, to just at that moment, just go with it. What happened? Tell me what happened. Instead of being the peacemaker. Hello? It's so easy to just roll with it. Or if it's at work and someone does something. There is biologically a male PMS. Yeah. Yeah, you see it all the time. He just was stupid for like 30 seconds. He's had a brain drain. It's so easy to just jump on that rather than to be the peacemaker, right? Congratulations for those of you who, after a while, with God's help, learn to go stop. I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to listen to that. Hello? Ah, the, so silent, I thought I lost my hearing. <laughs> Tapping my hearing aid there for a second. <clears throat> it was going buzzing there. No, it's, it's personal, isn't it? Because we all have those moments when it's easy to get caught up in it rather than to be the one who says, wait. Now, Listen, congratulations to those people who everyone in your sphere, look, 
Think of it as a big family, this great big family of people that are around you, work, school, neighbors, love the neighbors, right? I had, you know, I love the neighbors with the barking dog. Those are my favorite. I've had a few of them over the years. We had one lady that was so bad. She was so bad. She was an ugly person, ugly, awful person. She would just stand in the backyard and just curse you out for no reason. And the, it was just terrible. And my wife said, why don't we let the kids bake her some cookies? I said, why don't we get a bow and arrow and shoot her in the heart and get rid of her? I need to practice up. Bow season is coming. We have a thing at our house. If we say bow season, it means, you know, it's, it's a catchword. I'm like, let's just end her. And, and Lynette's like, come on. Who can resist two little kids bringing them a plate of cookies? So it was the holidays. It was Christmas. The kids made, you know, Santa Claus cookies and all of that. And they, we, I wouldn't go over there because she's just mean. And we let the kids go over there, and they knocked on the door, and they gave her the cookies. I'm not making this up. I'm going to tell you something. When we left that church five years ago, that lady stood on the corner and cried. She cried her eyes out. She hated to leave for us to leave. She loved us so much. But, man, I'm going to tell you, she was just awful. But she was within my sphere, right? You're going to get... But think of it this way. Just one other thought, and we'll go on. But what if God put her there on purpose because he's trying to do something with me? Right? And it's not my bow practice. It's not practice for bow season. What if he's trying to get through to me that I need to love people who are so mean like that? There are just some people are not easy to love, but it, maybe it's not about them being like they are. Maybe it's you that the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to change. And congratulations if you wake up one day and go, my goodness, it isn't them, it's me. It isn't about that guy at work that is so annoying. It's about my patience. It's not about that lady who keeps cutting me off in traffic. It's about me. Congratulations, you've just shifted over. You're now living in the kingdom of God. It isn't about you or about them. It's about you. Last one. We'll clean it up. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted here means all kinds of nasty bad things. Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Congratulations to those of you who get into trouble for the right reasons. According to Jesus, we ought to be people always in trouble. We should always be in some kind of trouble for the right reasons. But when's the last time you've seen a headline, you know, so-and-so got into trouble for doing the right thing? Now, this week, as an example, there's this, uh, the president of Talladega College in Alabama got into serious trouble by allowing his uh, band 
to march in the inauguration. This band, if you haven't been over there to school, it's, I lived in Georgia for 30-some years. It's an all-black school. It's a school started by slaves, four slaves. And this college president wanted to send his band. They were invited to march in the inauguration parade, and he got all kinds of hate mail. I mean, he just got beat up. Some of the things that were online that were said to him were awful. But he said, you know what? Don't do it anyway. It's the right thing to do. Those kids should not be um, denied the opportunity to march in the parade just because someone doesn't like who the new president is. And they threatened his job and all of this, and he said, you know what? Do what you got to do. The kids are going. That's, that's an extreme example, but it is a good example of someone who got into trouble for the right reason. And as Christians, according to Jesus, you could expect to be unpopular. You can expect to be in trouble. You can expect to go the other way sometimes and be misunderstood. You can expect that because you ought to be always in trouble for doing the right thing. But I think sometimes we get very comfortable with our faith We go to church, we do this, we do that, we read our Bible, we pray, and we're never in trouble. We ought to be, as a church, we ought to always be in trouble for trying to do the right thing. We ought to be always pushing the limits of trying to do what God wants us to do, whether it's popular or unpopular. Now, I don't mean to say, I don't think what Jesus meant is we do it to aggravate people. We don't do it to just make a point. We do it because that's the right thing to do. That makes sense? So congratulations if you get that. And then verse 11 is just a commentary and explains what happens when you do practice that. You're going to get into trouble. You can just expect it. But that's fine because that's who we are and that's the kingdom that we live in. We don't live in this other kingdom. So let's wrap up with this. The four help the attitudes of love demonstrate that God will help those who try to help others. And we desperately need to minister to each other. We need to care about what happens to each other. And I think in this church, I know for our family, no question in my mind, there are people here who deeply care about what happens in our family. And I, and I care deeply about what happens in your family. We should care what happens to each other. It should matter to us. But then it should also matter to us what happens to other people who are not so easy to love. Amen? But to do that, we need God's help. It's not hard to love people who love you. It's hard to love people who don't love you. It's hard to help that, again, I'm going to use that crazy example, that that one person who keeps writing the hot checks. It's hard to just have mercy and help them when they just keep doing the wrong thing. Or they keep getting themselves into situations over and over. It just goes on. And you're like, when are they ever going to wake up? God, it's, when do I draw the line on this? And God says, when did I draw the line on you? Hello? And you're like, oh, I just don't know if I can deal with it. You need God's help. Right? You're out of your own energy. Let God help you. Then the need be attitudes of faith demonstrate that God helps those who cannot help themselves. If we find ourselves in situations where we're helpless, congratulations. 
at that moment you realize, I need God's help. And from what we know about God, he will step in and help us. Amen? Amen. Stand together. Let's pray. Pastor, you want to come up and lead us in prayer? One of the great things about the Beatitudes, in my view, and every time I have a chance to, to talk about them, it always comes back to me that it's just, and, and I know we don't want to, we don't say this, but it's all about me, really, isn't it? It's all about me in a positive way. It's all about me that Christ is trying to become more of my life. It's all about me. All the frustration around me, all the things that are around me, maybe it's not about that at all. Maybe it's just about God trying to make me to be more like Him. And in my spiritual formation, some of you are easy. I'm married to an easy person. She gets it. I'm, I'm the guy who doesn't get it until later. You know, I, I usually get it later, but... I do get it. It just takes a while. I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. <clears throat> but some of us get it quick, and some of us get it later. But we still get it because that's what he's trying to do in us. He's trying to form himself in us. We should, uh, over time, become more like Christ. It just takes a while. But he's a patient God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and your mercy and your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that we live in a kingdom where when we need your help, you help us. When we need each other, we're there for each other. Some of us are hard-headed, Lord. Some of us, it takes a while sometimes for us to really get the spiritual side of things. We see it in the natural, but we don't get it. For those of us who are in that category, Lord, we pray for extra patience. Help us, Lord, to get it, to understand what it means to live like this in your kingdom. And for those who get it easily, those who just comes naturally to God, we pray that they would just be blessed double. And we thank you for that. Help us to be kind and merciful to those around us and to learn to love the way you love us. We ask it in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.